So for the past number of weeks, we've been learning how to pray from the Old Testament book of Psalms. And so we've learned how to pray in worship, in confession of sins. We've learned how to pray in giving thanks, how to pray when we're battling sin, how to pray when we're grieving, how to pray when we're longing to see God's Spirit poured out upon the church and advance the gospel. We've been learning how to pray from the book of Psalms. And now this morning, we're going to learn about praying to God, talking to God about truths about God. So in Psalm 139, as we study this passage, what we're going to see is that David's praying, but he's reflecting to God about who he is. He's celebrating truth about God. He's pondering truth about God, and he's being transformed as he does that by these truths about God. So let's start with this first question. What truth about God does David start with? Psalm 139, verses 1 through 3. Let's start there. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. So David is talking about how God is focused on knowing David, knowing him personally. So God does not just know people in general, humanity in general, or the church at large. God knows David God knows you. That's what David is celebrating here. And notice in verse 1 that David or that God searched and knew David. God doesn't just like sit back and like passively watch and observe who you are. No, God is searching you out. He's interested in everything about you. He knows about your relationships and your workplace problems. He knows about how you slept last night and what you do in your spare time. He he wants to know, and he does know, everything about you. He's not just a passive observer. He is searching you out. He's intently focused on you, verse 1. And then verse 2, God knows when we sit down. And it's not like a trivial thing, but God knows that. He, He knew, he was thinking about you when you sat in your seat this morning. He's thinking about these paying complete close attention to you. And he knows when you rise up at the end of the service. He's going to know that. That's going to register. He's going to be totally aware of that. And the last part of verse 2 shows that God knows all your thoughts. Every question, every fear, every doubt, every puzzlement, every dream, every excitement, all your thoughts God is focused upon. He knows. He's intently focused on knowing you as an individual. Verse 3 shows that he searches out what path you're walking on when you lie down, when you go to sleep. So the point of verses 1 through 3 is that God is focused on everything about you. There's no part of you that he is not consciously aware of right this moment. He's aware of all of you, all of who you are, all the time. He's focused on 
that knowledge of you. Then verse 4 is amazing. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. After the service, we go outside, and outside the gate, we can have a chance to mingle and catch up with old friends and meet some new friends and, and hear what's going on. God already knows every word you're going to say. So God knows everything, not just about your past and everything about your present. God knows everything about your future. He knows everything about you. He is always thinking about everything about you all the time. Now you might wonder, how can that be good news? We've all done wrong. We've all sinned against God. We've been jealous. We've been impatient this last week. We've got greedy thoughts, lustful thoughts, unforgiving attitudes. How can this be good news? It's because God has made a way for you to be completely forgiven for all your wrongs, all your sin. When David wrote this, he was forgiven because of what the Messiah, Jesus, would do in the future when Jesus came and died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who trust him. So for David, this was a future event. For us in the New Testament, we look back 2,000 years. We are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. But the point is that when you turn from your sin and you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your all-satisfying treasure, all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. His power starts to go to work to change you, and His presence, His love, His glory will fill your heart and completely, for the first time, completely satisfy you. First time you'll be completely satisfied. That's why this is good news. Because you're trusting Jesus, we've all sinned against Him, but He knows you with love, with compassion, with care, and with affection. His knowledge of you is not threatening. It's deeply encouraging. And if you're not yet trusting Jesus, understand that Jesus loves you, and he is inviting you this morning to turn from your sin and bend the knee before him, bow before him, receive all that he is, trust him, you will leave here completely forgiven. Not at all threatened by God knowing you, but welcoming that, delighting in that, secured in that, comforted by that. Then verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. I think the point here is that God's protecting us. He's surrounding us with his protection. And he's placing his loving hand upon us. His loving hand protects us from many, many, many trials and difficulties that would come. Now, there are times when his loving hand allows some trials and difficulties to come to us. The Christian life is not free from suffering. There's times where he allows that to come, but the reason he does that is because that trial, he's going to use it to give us even more closeness with him, even more depth of relationship with him, even more peace, joy in him. So that hand either protects us from trials or allows only trials that he, by his grace, is going to use to bring us even more 
closeness, relationship, depth, joy in him. So to put all these verses together, one through five, the point is that God is constantly, constantly focused on you and everything about you. Constantly. And in verse 6, David says, this is hard to understand. And it is, isn't it? I mean, look at what he says in verse 6. Such knowledge, too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. I mean, the question is, how can God be constantly focused on you when he's also constantly focused on me and the person sitting next to you and everybody else here? And it's because he's God. Okay, you can't do that. I can barely keep one constant focus in my mind, okay? But I'm not God. Neither are you. This is what one thing it means for God to be God, is that he is able to be constantly focused on everything about you and others as well at the same time. So here's a picture of what we've seen so far. Here's Psalm 139. I want to kind of point out the flow of thought here as we go through this passage. Verses 1 through 6, David says, Lord, you are always thinking about me. And the reason David says it is he wants us all to, to celebrate that with him. God, the God of the universe, is constantly thinking about you right now. There's more. What truth does David talk to God about next? Look at verse 7. This is amazing. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? David is saying that everywhere he goes, God is right there with him. So it's not just that you can have God be with you when you come to church. God loves to bless us when we come to church. Pour out his spirit upon us, reveal his glory to us, speak to us through the scriptures. But God can also be, in fact he is, he's right there with you as you're driving to work tomorrow. He's right there with you as you're starting off your your teaching year here in Abu Dhabi. He's right there with you when you're at the gym or standing in line at Lulu's. God is always, always right there with you. That's what David is saying here. He puts it another way in verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. In other words, There's no place so high that God isn't there. There's no place so low that God isn't there. Wherever you go, God is going to be right there with you. Then verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, note that, and your right hand shall hold me, note that. So the point is, wherever you go, God's going to be right there. But notice in verse 10, David specifies what are some of the things it means for God to be right there with you. And there's two things. He leads you and he holds you. So wherever you are, God is right there, ready to lead you. I mean, how many times are we in situations and we're not sure what to do? We're confused, we're, we're puzzled. God is always right there to give you all the leading, all the guidance, all the counsel, all the wisdom that you need. As you rest in him, as you depend upon him, as you ask him, he will always give you all that you need. And God's hand is also right there to hold you. When you're being being pulled away from him into sin, his hand is there to hold you, be strong, pull you back. He's going to keep you. He's going to keep you. 
loves you. When we're walking into sin and guilty, his, his hand will be there to convict us. Son, daughter, this is wrong. He'll, he'll be there to convict you. When you're weak, his hand will strengthen you. When you're grieving or sorrowful, his hand will comfort you. Wherever you are, everywhere you are, anytime, any place, God is always right there with you to lead and to hold. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. I think the point is that there is no situation that is so dark, so frightening, so oppressive, so difficult that God won't see you. Not at all. He's right there with you, seeing everything, ready to help, comfort, strengthen, guide. That's the point of verses 11 and 12. Okay, so now let's, let's look at, here's David's flow of thought up to this point. Here's a picture of what we're seeing in this psalm. Verses 1 through 6, Lord, you are always thinking about me. And then in verses 7 through 12, and you are always right there with me. Amazing. But now think about that. I mean, you are one person, one person on this massive planet Earth. Okay? You're just one little person on this huge planet Earth. And planet Earth is one little speck in the massive Milky Way. And the, the massive Milky Way is just one little speck amongst hundreds of billions of galaxies like the Milky Way. So you just drill down, 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 down and there you are. Just the little, little planet Earth. So here's the question. Why is God always thinking about me? Why is God always right there with me? With you? Why? The answer is in verses 13 through 16. I think the next place where David goes as he's talking to God about these truths about God is he wants to reflect on why. God, why do you always think about me? And why are you always right there with me? Verses 13 through 16. Notice the first word in verse 13. The word for. That word can mean because or since. It shows that the author is giving a reason. So here's the reason for why God does this. One of the reasons. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So when you were being formed in your mother's womb, that was not just random cell multiplication. No, God himself was forming you. God was handcrafting you, knitting you together. That's what was happening. In verse 14, he says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I mean, think about the complex design of your body, the intricate detail. I mean, we, all, we take this for granted, but I mean, just think about it. You have eyes 
that can see things. I mean, that is astonishing. How did that happen? God intricately designed that. You have an automatic thermostat. Did you know that in your body? So that when you get hot, your body automatically starts to cool itself off. And when it gets too cold, your body automatically starts to conserve heat. Did you know that? You don't even need to turn it on or off. It just automatically. God intricately designed that. And the list just goes on and on and on. I mean, think about the fact that, that you are, you have a mind, you're, you're conscious of yourself. You're a conscious, sentient being. You're conscious of yourself, and you can talk to other people around you, and they can understand you. You can understand them. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, just think about that. In verse 16, or I'm sorry, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now that phrase, the depths of the earth, most scholars think that's a, a literary way of describing his mother's womb. In other words, it's, it's a secret, hidden place, like, like the depths of the earth would be. So again, the point is that God handcrafted you in your mother's womb. But there's more. This is amazing. Verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So before you were born, it's amazing. God planned every day of your life and wrote each day down in his book. So think about this. God created you, handcrafted you, made you. None of us deserve this. This is just pure grace, compassion, mercy from God. This just shows how good, glorious, loving God is that, that he made you, he gave you life. Look, at here you are. How did you get here? God made me. God crafted me. God gave me life. That's why I'm here. Now, this teaching has some huge implications. Let, let me just talk about two of them for a moment. Let this change how you think about yourself. Understand, God has uniquely crafted you and planned your life. You're here because of God. You're not here by chance or by some random processes. God crafted you and planned your life. Think about it. There is no one else like you. He made you. He wanted there to be you. What love, what mercy, what grace. Here you are. We're thankful that he did. Glad for each one of you. He chose to make you with your hair color and your personality, your ethnicity, your particular giftings. And, and God made you for a reason. For a purpose, it's very clear through the Bible, it's to have the joy of knowing God in the person of Jesus and then to make him known, to spread the joy of his glory, to help other people come into the joy of knowing God through Jesus. That's why we're here, to know him and to make him known, to glorify him, to magnify him. 
So let this change how you think about yourself. This is profoundly life-changing. You are not an accident. You don't need to try to find your own meaning or create your own purpose. God made you. Handcrafted you. Again, what? Compassion, grace, mercy. What a glorious God that he would do this. So that's one implication. A second implication is let this change how you view babies in the womb. How you view babies in the womb. In these verses, God is telling us, David's telling us, God is telling us through David, we're seeing God's heart that God is lovingly making every baby in the womb. That's what God's doing. What's in the womb is a, a person being lovingly crafted, made by God. And, and this has huge implications for us, church, especially in the culture we're in today. Huge implications. If you're talking to a, a woman who's pregnant and who's struggling with whether she should keep the baby or not, care for her, listen, love, and, and open up this passage. This is a beautiful display of God's heart. Especially his heart for babies in the womb. Now sometimes pregnancies can come about by tragic, horrible circumstances. And if that, if that is you or if you know of somebody in that situation, our hearts should break for them and what's happened. It is tragic. It is heartbreaking things that can take place. And, and if that's you, we would be honored to love you and care for you, encourage you, support you. But see, even though the circumstances of the pregnancy might have been horrible, the baby is being handcrafted lovingly by God. That's the reality. That baby's life has been planned by God. And, and God will help you decide to raise the baby yourself or if that's just not possible to, to place the baby with a, a couple who would be thrilled to raise that child. Now, what about those of you, this is hard to bring up, but what about those of you who've had abortions or men who've told your wife or your girlfriend to have an abortion? Well, that was wrong. That was very wrong. But Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of our wrongs. And by turning to him and trusting him, surrendering to him, owning, owning the sin, but asking him to forgive you and meet you, he will. He will completely forgive you. His arms are open wide to you. He will heal your heart. He will comfort you. He will help you. And I would just challenge us, the church, the church that believes this, we need to be caring for women who are in difficult pregnancies. Counsel, support, help, care. We need to come alongside, rally around, bless. But that's an implication of this passage, is how we view babies in the womb. Again, this is something that is 
uh, controversial today, but this is God's heart. This is God's truth. God is lovingly making every baby in the womb. Now, I would encourage you to keep thinking about that topic and to be pondering this verse and other verses in the scripture that teach the same. So here's what we've seen so far. Let's, again, the flow of thought so far. Look at what we've seen in Psalm 139. Verses 1 through 6. Lord, you are always thinking about me. That's true about David. That's true about you as well. And you are always right there with me. It's true about David. It's true about you as well. And you do this because you handcrafted me and planned my life. And as David, again, he's talking to God about these truths. We're watching David pray in a way that where you're talking to God about these truths. As he's talking to God about these truths, he's being deeply impacted, deeply affected. And he shares how he's affected because he wants us to be affected. So let's ask this last question. How should these truths affect us? Three ways David gives us. First, treasure the thoughts and the presence of God in your life. Verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. So in verse 17, he says God's thoughts are precious to him. And the the thoughts that he's been talking about all through this passage so far are God's thoughts about him. That's what he's focusing on here. God You are always thinking about me. You have so many thoughts about me. That is so precious to me. Thank you. What mercy, what grace, what love. Thank you. So he's focusing on God's thoughts about him. And then in verse 18, he's amazed at God's presence. Every time I wake up, you're right there with me. Not a morning has gone by when I've woken up and you're not right there, right there with me. So think about this. Just let, let this sink in what... How precious this is. We're talking about God. God is God. Okay, He's always existed from eternity past with no beginning. Wow. He's in complete sovereign, absolute control over everything. Total authority, total sovereignty. And as big as God is, filling the Billions of galaxies, as big as God is, he's always thinking about you right now. And he's always right there with you, like right now. This, just what a glorious God. What an amazing God. What a compassionate, gracious, merciful God we have. So think about it. All afternoon today, let's just take this afternoon as an example. He's thinking about you. He's caring about you. Loving you. He's right there with you. He's ready to guide you when you're confused, strengthen you when you're weak, fill your heart with more joy in him when you're empty, strengthen you when you're feeling insecure, comfort you when you're sad, whatever it might be. He's right there with you all afternoon today. Oh, how precious are your thoughts to me. 
David saw how incredibly precious God's thoughts and God's presence was. Do you see that? How many hours go by every day where that's not in your mind at all? And that is the most astonishing reality. That's the most important truth about you that there is. God's here. God knows me. He's thinking about me. So treasure the thoughts and the presence of God. Second way this affected David, and it should affect us, turn from anything that pulls you from God. And this next section is not easy to figure out. Um, I worked really hard on it. I'm about 65% sure of what I'm going to say here. Okay, so you keep doing your study on it. It's hard to figure out how verses 19 through 22 fit in with David's overall flow of thought. Like, it's like, what's going on? What's, what's he talking about? What, what does this have to do with anything? So here's the verses. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you, God, with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So David asks God to slay the people around him who are mocking and dishonoring God. And, and he talks a lot in here about how he, he hates them. He loathes them. So what's the point? What is he saying here? And here's what I think the point is. He doesn't want these evil people pulling him away from God. I think that's his concern. In light of all that God is, thinking about him, creating him, always with him, he doesn't want these evil people around him to be pulling him away from God. He doesn't want them influencing him. Now, I was, I was encouraged in this direction by what the Christian Standard Version Study Bible, how they put it in their notes. The psalmist wished to escape the influence of wicked liars. That's how they summed up this section. So in other words, David so treasures God's thoughts and God's presence with him, he doesn't want anything to pull him away from God. He wants to be right there with him, right there trusting, depending, enjoying, relying, worshiping, exalting, fellowshipping with him. Okay, but then why does David say he hates them? I mean, he's really strong about that. Why does he say that? Both the New Testament in Jesus and the Old Testament teach that we should love our enemies. New Testament and Old Testament teaches that. So I think when David says he hates them, I think he means he's hating their sin. I think it's what he's talking about. He cares about them, but he hates their godlessness. Because he knows how godlessness can, how it dishonors God, but also how it can rub off on him if he's not careful right? So see, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. So we are called to love lost people, befriend lost people, connect with lost people, have lost people into our homes so that we can have a meal with them, share the good news of Jesus with them. That's what God's calling us to do. But isn't there always the danger that they can pull us away from God? There is. It's always a danger. So ask yourself this question. Are you letting friends who don't know the Lord pull you away from God? 
It's so easy to have that happen. To reach a point where they are influencing you more than you are influencing them. I think that's David's concern here. So think of how tragic it would be to have somebody pull you away from knowing God in the person of Jesus. Pulling you away from the God who's always thinking about you. Who is always right there with you. Nothing could be more dangerous. Nothing is more dangerous than being pulled away from knowing God in Christ. So let's join with David and turn from anything that would pull us away from God. I think that's the second way that these thoughts have impacted David. One last point that he mentions. Because you treasure the thoughts in the presence of God, ask God to convict you of hidden sin and lead you in the, everlast- in the way everlasting. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I would encourage you to memorize these two verses and pray them often. See, wicked people can pull us away from God, but so can hidden sin. Sin that we're involved in that we're pretending isn't sin, that we're trying to cover up, that we're trying to rationalize or justify. Hidden sin. Hidden sin will pull us away from God. And again, like I said, there's nothing more dangerous than that. But when we ask God to search us, when we ask God to know us, God, show me any sin I'm not owning up to. I plead with you, show me. He loves us. He will always answer that prayer. And when we confess those sins, he will completely forgive us through Jesus. He will cleanse us from those sins through Jesus' death on the cross. And because of that, they will have no power. They will lose all their power to pull us away from God. So here's what we've seen in Psalm 139. Such an amazing chapter. First of all, God is always thinking about you. Just let that rest on you. Always. And God is always right there with you, ready to help, to lead, to comfort, to strengthen, to guide. It's always right there. And the reason is because he has handcrafted you and planned your life before you were even born. And when you understand those truths, that changes everything. Changes everything. Because you're trusting Jesus Christ at every moment of every day, the God of the universe is loving you, pursuing you, knowing you, caring about you, right there, ready to help with whatever comes up. You have God there with you all the time through Jesus Christ. And therefore, let's be affected by that like David was. Treasure, treasure the thoughts and the presence of God. Turn from anything in your life that's pulling you away from God. Be honest about those things. What's what's pulling you away? Turn from that and then ask God to convict you of hidden sin and ask God to lead you in the way everlasting. He will. Let's stand. I want to pray. Amazing truths in this passage, Father. Oh, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Because of Jesus, the thoughts that you are always there with us and always knowing everything about us, because of Jesus, those truths are 
comforting, encouraging, and strengthening. Oh, Lord, thank you. And Lord, do help us, strengthen us to treasure, to see all that we have in Christ and your love for us. Help us to treasure your thoughts and your presence. Help us to turn away from anything that would pull us from you, Lord. And Lord, do show us our hidden sins. Show us any sins that we're rationalizing or justifying. And Lord, lead us on the way everlasting, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.